Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. What's up, Buffalo Fanatics? Josh Allen here. Just wanted to say, uh, go Bills. Monday night. That can only mean one thing. It is the smoke break live on the Buffalo Fanatics YouTube channel. So good of you to spend your Monday evening with me here. Gorgeous night out, man. The nights keep getting more and more gorgeous. I'm telling you, it's it's terrific. Although I was out in Boston over the weekend. Coldest day I've I've felt in a long time. It was cold and rainy out in Boston. What else is new? You're in Patriot territory. I don't expect to see rainbows and sunshine. You know, it's odd when you're out in Patriot territory, man. It is crazy. Just seeing all the Patriot hats everywhere. You know, I'm so, I mean, obviously you get it. You're out in that area. So what else do you expect? That's what you're going to see. You're going to see Patriots gear. You're out in Boston, duh, no kidding. But it's just, it's something I'll never get used to. You know, being from where I'm at up in Rochester, just, you know, spending my entire life here in the upstate New York area, you're just so used to seeing nothing but bills. It'll never not, you know, stick out to me anytime I go somewhere different, seeing anything but bills gear, but especially the barrage of Patriot stuff. It's just, it'll never, ever sit with me. It's such a weird environment to be around. Uh, so every time I go to that area, it's always great to be back in upstate New York and get reacclimated to the appropriate red, white, and blue team that we all love so much. Uh, so uh, once again, so great to have you in uh, weird time of the year. The NBA finals are over. Congrats to the golden state warriors. The, I guess you could say new England Patriots of the NBA over the last decade or so, but my God, you know, I was thinking about this. The likability between dynasties is crazy to me. Like Alabama and football, incredibly unlikable in my opinion, we all know how unlikable the Patriots were. Um, Golden State Warriors might be the most likable dynasty I've ever seen. Maybe it's because of Steph Curry. Maybe it's because I, I really enjoy watching him. Maybe it's because I really love Steve Kerr and the way he approaches the game and the media and whatnot. But just something about the Golden State Warriors. They are the most likable dynasty I've ever seen. Uh, so hats off to Golden State, fourth ring in eight years. That's some crazy stuff. But it, it gets to the point, you know, I'm not even a big NBA guy. I know I've, I've said this a million times on here, and I know, a lot, I know a lot of you have, you know, shared the same feelings. Uh, but it's a weird portion of the year when the NBA does end, and it's just baseball. Now, granted, of course, we still have the Stanley Cup game three tonight. Uh, but, but good God, that, that series should be over in four games if the Avalanche continue to, wait, continue to play the way they're playing. I don't think I've ever seen as good an offense 
on a sheet of ice as I've seen out of the Colorado Avalanche in this playoffs. Insane. Seven nothing the other night against Tampa Bay. I mean, that's the equivalent of what the Bills did to the Patriots in the playoffs last year. Tampa Bay, they speaking of dynasties, they've been a true dynasty throughout the NHL over the last handful of seasons. And uh, to see them get worked like that was nuts. And I wouldn't be surprised if the, uh, the Avalanche go on to sweep. But then it's just, you know, once that's done, it's just baseball. And it's that month and a half, two month, month lag before football where almost every other sport is done. I cannot get into baseball for the life of me. I'll never be able to do it. Unless they decide to shorten the season by about a, you know, if they cut it in third, a third. I mean, even half a season would still be more than an NBA season, which I think is too long as it is. I don't know how people keep up with baseball. So it's a really tough part of the year. But that always means that football is right around the corner. You have to go through the darkest, right? But it's always darkest before the dawn. So we're entering into that period of the sports, uh, you know, the sports calendar. And then football will be right around the corner. So we are entrenched, of course, in the offseason. As I just mentioned, we all know this. And, um, you know, it's been a, it's been slower, obviously, since the draft has been over and the major trades have been gotten out of the way. It's it's a really slow time right now for the NFL. So, you know, we, we here at the Fanatics, we're always kind of we're always kind of just shooting the shit. Hey, what, what, what's the topic for you guys tonight? What did you think was a cool idea? What are you going to do? Last week, we went through, tried to figure out what it's going to take statistically for Josh Allen to make uh, an MVP run this season. So we always try to come up with fun things, right? So my mom, uh, she's a school teacher. The year is coming to an end. She'll be done on Thursday. And she told me, well, my, my full-time job for the summer now is going to be cleaning the house. It's going to be cleaning the house. I'm going to spend the entire time, my, my daily shift at, at school, I'm going to spend that amount of time every day cleaning the house. Okay, mom. But I will, I, will, I will give her credit. She's probably not lying. She will probably do that. And she's already getting a head start. She had the holiday today, Juneteenth. They had the day off. She's uh, cleaning out the closets. Now, the best part about cleaning, right? It, nobody likes to do it, obviously. It's no fun. I can't stand cleaning. But the one thing I do like about it, is when you are cleaning out a closet or underneath your bed or whatever, every time you wind up finding one or two things you completely forgot you had. At least I do. Uh, I have so much crap in my house. I'm, I like to collect things. You guys know this by now. Action figures, um, NF NFTs. Those are virtual, though, so I don't have to store those underneath my bed. But basically, if it, if it has anything to do with something I like, uh, whether it be the Bills, Dave Matthews Band, South Park, the list goes on. If I'm really into something, I collect the living hell out of it. And it gets to the point sometimes, Spider-Man's another one. I just got all, all of those different categories of things. I own more stuff than I could ever dream of doing actual things with. I mean, that's the thing. You, get, you accumulate so much of this stuff. After a while, you forget you even have it half the time. So my mom's cleaning out the... Uh, one of the closets today. And she finds this bin of books and immediately it's one of those see-through like gigantic Tupperware bins. And immediately I can see through it and I can see some of the books in there. And it just immediately gave me a blast of nostalgia. I could see a couple books in there that were, you know, prominent in my life when I was a kid, I'd see them around the house or I'd read the hell out of them. And it's just funny as time goes on, things get tucked away. You forget you even have. Them. So I thought today, how cool would it be? to take a look at a couple of things that my mom and I had found 
buried in the closet that have to do with our Buffalo Bills that I thought would be a super cool thing to kind of run through and take a look at today. So we're going to go through two things. I'll show you the first one uh, that we're going to spend the bulk of time on today. This book right here, this thing, and uh, I'm going to do my best to try to put it in frame here. This is called Relentless, the hard-hitting history of Buffalo Bills football throughout the the first 35 years of the franchise. Look at this thing, man. This thing weighs about five pounds, and if I, to be accurate here, it is 480 pages long, chronicling, or chronic, or whatever the word is. Uh, Sometimes when the the bigger the word, the tougher it is for your boy, Bat. But it, it, it essentially recaps in vivid, I don't even want to say the word recap because it's so vivid. It goes through every single Buffalo Bills season from the inaugural season back in 1960 all the way up until 1994. It's got a little bit of everything in here. So I thought it'd be cool because uh, the way the way it is um, written, it, it, it goes through every season individually and it gives you in the, uh, the in the content section where you can go through each season. I thought it would be awesome to go through and read a few excerpts from this book of every single season up until those glory days of the 90s. Because, you know, for me as a Bills fan, obviously I'm as big a fan as they come. But I'm no historian. I never claimed to be. It's kind of like when I talk to you guys about the draft or like, you know, when we get really into statistics and people who are really statistical, that's just not my element of fanhood. And one of the other things that's really not at my wheelhouse is the historical aspects of, of things. I mean, I'm well aware, of course, of, of all the things that went into um, what the bills are today, but I'm talking about the nitty gritty things, the things that even maybe the most diehard old head bills fan may not know. This book has got everything you could possibly imagine. So I thought, why not spend our gorgeous Monday night here going through and recapping the first 35 years of our Buffalo Bills, really put into perspective, you know, what, what it all took to form into what it is today. Because, you know, you take for granted, I think, what it, what it could have been or what it was, how it became. Uh, it's just wild what the NFL in general has become. It's dominated. It, it, is, it is synonymous with America. NFL and football is synonymous with America. And when you read through this book, you know, the original eight founders, I mean, this was the gamble of a lifetime. They never thought it was going to become anything close to what it came, became today. So we're going to take a look uh, all throughout that book today, go through 1960 all the way up until 1994 and read off some cool excerpts from that book. But we begin today with another book that I found. And now this is an all-time classic. If I were a Buffalo Bill, look at that. So it's one of those kid books. Let me try to, yeah, here we go. It's one of those kid books, but it's based on, you, you know, you or as you can see, me becoming a Buffalo Bill. And as I flicked through this, I thought it was hilarious. And you'll see it's, it's basically about, the Bills taking it to the Miami Dolphins. And I'm like, is this not the most fitting book ever? I mean, it has held up tremendously. So I'm going to go through this book and read it off to you quickly before we get into the, uh, into the history of the Bills throughout the first 30 years. Thought this was just hilarious. I remember it as a kid, and I figured I'd share it with you guys. So once again, if I were a Buffalo Bill, and we're going to start here on page one. So watch me now, play by play, to see if I 
can save the day. There's your boy bot number one. And he is ready to F some shite up on the football field. You know your bot, your boy bot's rocking number one. He's coming out on that field. And we I've always had this thing. I think me and my dad have always kind of agreed on this. If you're gonna wear number one in sports, you better you better be coming prepared. You better be the best player out on that field because if you're wearing number one, that tells me your cockiness level, that's at an all-time high. So if you're coming out on the field as number one, you better be ready to back up that number. And based on the way this book goes, I'll tell you right now, I'm not disappointed. The Dolphins come to Buffalo wearing a cocky grin, but they don't know we're hungry for a win. Look at this. So here we got we got the uh, the Dolphins. They think they're going to come into the Ralph and just mess mess us up. But as you can see here, I I am in uh, I am in no mood for that. I am going to absolutely take it to the Miami Dolphins. I mean, look at that. Look at that stance. Look at that stance right here. You can't beat that. I'm coming out of the tunnel, full force, ready to absolutely crush some Miami Dolphin butt. It's a long, tough game. Things don't look good. We need to score if only we could. Now, I'm noticing here, things aren't going well for the Bills so far in this game, in, this, in the beginning of this book. Here we are, and I, I don't know if that was ruled a fumble on the field. Number 21 looks like he might be down. But here's what I'm noticing here, and I'm wondering what's going on. I am currently riding the pine. And that helmet is definitely a little bit too small for my liking. I'm riding the pine based on the verbiage of the book. We're losing the game. I wonder why. I'm not on the field. Some of the guys could use a rest, but we're going to win because the Bills are the best. (laughs) Couldn't have said it better myself. Okay, so now it looks like I'm getting in the game. The Dolphins use another twist. Look out, guys. It's a quarterback blitz. The quarterback's down. They call me in. Coach looks at me and says with a grin. Oh, boy. So I don't know who's at QB here, but it ain't Josh Allen. I'll tell you that. Because we got about all 11 defensive Miami Dolphins players on my man's ass right here. I mean, look at that. That is a murder. And I'm on the sidelines like, bro, coach, I mean, look, I know I know, I got what it takes, but, man, I mean, you're going to throw me into the wolves like that? I mean, this guy's out here getting pieced right now. But it's looking like I'm going to be our only chance because, I mean, I don't got a number on this QB here, but the current QB that's in right now, uh, he looks like he's going to be pronounced dead after that hit. So it's up to me, number one, bot. He's out on the field. So coach says – This is your chance, kid. You know our plays by heart. You've got talent, and I know you're smart. Now, coach is no dummy. The only thing I don't like about my coach right now is the fact that it took him this long to realize I should be the starter. But there's coach. He seems pretty confident. Now, look at the pointer finger on that guy. I mean, that that is a a wand right there. And he's pointing at me like, look it. You're our saving grace here, kid. You better get in there and turn the tide around because we are not losing to the damn Dolphins at home. I'll tell you that. Coach says, get in there now. Show me what you can do. The team really needs a score. It's all up to you. Now, here I go, folks. Now, but based on the sound of this, this is this. is I'm making my first NFL start here. And uh, 
I'm cheesing ear to ear. I mean, like I said, the, my predecessor in at the position position just got, uh, he was pronounced dead, deceased, dead. But I'm looking, I mean, I'm, I'm happy as can be. I'm happy as can be. My first NFL star coach seems to have some sort of confidence in me. Or maybe he's just, you know, he's like, throw the, throw the young kid in because let me tell you what, we're, we're getting screwed right now. Going to huddle is the first thing I do. We may be down, but we're not through. All right. So the Dolphins are out there in the backfield. Look at them. And they think, now, sorry, the green screen's on. This is, uh, this is green. So are the Dolphins' pants. boy, bot. Good work. Another green screen fluke. But uh, the Dolphins, as you can see here on the defensive side, they're like, who's this kid, man? We're already, we're destroying these guys. You know, what's, what's this kid got? Meanwhile, here I am. I'm in the huddle. I'm in the huddle and I'm telling the boys, look, these are the damn dolphins, man. If you think we're going to go away in this game, lying down, you're out of your mind. We own the dolphins. No way we're losing at home. I understand the guy you were just blocking for. He pissed the bed, but I'm not him. Okay. Your boy bot he's coming into the game and we're going to turn the tide here. Okay. We're going to turn things around. So I got the boys in the huddle. Now, a couple of them here, they seem pretty terrified. I'm not going to lie, especially my man right here. I don't know who this guy is. But he's like, oh, my God, they're starting this kid. I mean, look at me. I'm like, oh, hey, I'm just happy to be here. I mean, I, I look like I'm ready for some nachos from the stands. And my man up top here, I mean, he's like, he's terrified. He, he is absolutely terrified. And uh, this guy down here in the right here near side. Yeah, I mean, these guys are shaking in their boots. I mean, they've been getting their ass kicked all day. And they can't imagine things are going to get much better with me on the field. Well, here we go. I'm taking center. There's not much time to make a score, just three plays to close the door. All right, so apparently we're not getting our ass kicked as bad as I thought. It looks like we're in kind of a tight game here, um, and it's up to me at this point. And we're lined up here under center. Now, this, you know, now you know this is old school because I'm, I'm under center here, and I think the Bills, what did they do last year? They took like 87% of their snaps out of shotgun. But I'm under center here. Now, I also don't know what's going on with the formation here because, um, as you can see, I got a lineman about, you know, he's all the way on the sideline on my back right. I don't know what he's doing there. And then this, and then this guy right here, you see, that, you see this guy? Sorry, the, the, the camera. I'm just, like, brutal with this. You see this guy right here, though, on the far side right here? I mean, he's running the wrong way. I mean, this has just got the incompetence of the of my of the early Buffalo Bills that I used to watch as a kid down to a T at this point. I don't know what the hell that guy's doing. I have no idea. Number 30, he's like, get me the hell out of here. I'm running home. He's got no confidence in me. All right, so I'm taking the snap. Now, according to okay, now we got a score here. I'm looking up at the top of the graphic here. So we got 34 seconds left, and the Dolphins are up by three. All right, so we weren't getting our ass kicked as bad as I thought we were. But nonetheless, it's up to me. I got to go win this thing. It's kind of like it's kind of like Frank Reich uh, when Jim Kelly went down. That's the that's the type of situation I'm in right now, a quarterback for the Bills. The center snaps the ball. I drop back to pass. It goes to the wide receiver because he's so fast. Now apparently, I got a cannon because this thing looks like it's an absolute dime. The accuracy on me is next level. Now this is my this is my first snap, uh, my first snap, my first throw out of the shoots here. And that's a dime piece. It's an absolute dime. We got good protection. 
I'm fading away. Kind of Josh Allen ask him off my back foot. Now the odd thing here is it's got me, it's got me throwing the ball left-handed odd. You don't really see that very much. The only left-handed quarterback in the league right now, I think is to a tongue of Bailoa and, we know how well that's panned out so far, but that's a dime. Uh, that's an absolute dime right on the hands. And it looks like we're going for the first down here. We did get the first down. Awesome. Now it's time for play number two. I hand off to the fullback. He takes it to the 10. We're going to get up and do it again. Now, apparently I have just sparked an absolute flame under the bill's ass because this fullback, I mean, look at that. I mean, that looks like Josh Allen, against the Vikings his rookie year. Just like, get out of my way. I'm going to run you over. Here I am, happy as can be. I mean, I am just stoked. Stoked right now. I know exactly what's about to go down. I'm about to be top. I'm about to be front page news after this game. So the fullback, he's taking it, man. I mean, he just absolutely ran over three Dolphins. Whoa, now it's getting juicy. Now it's getting interesting. I fake a pass and a bootleg run then score the winning touchdown at the sound of the gun. Now, I know this book may be old, but I never in my life remember a time when the ref had a Colt 45 to make sure that everybody knew that the time had expired. I mean, you know, you want to talk about maybe bringing back some authenticity to the game. How about that? How about instead of like, the clock striking zero or they're like an alarm or anything. We just have the refs carrying uh, loaded pistols and they just fire it off in the air. Every time there's a score. I mean, look at that. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the, the hell is going on here. The ref is he's taken, he's taken the time on his, on his Rolex and he's letting everybody know that I indeed just took that baby to the house. I mean, look at me. That's six game is ours. But the ref here, man, he's wasting no time letting the folks at the Ralph know by just firing off a loaded pistol. You got to love it. You got to love it. That's old school football, apparently. I was not around during the days of the loaded pistol to signify the end of the game, but pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. Now we're talking. I'm the hero. As, I, as you just saw, I scored the game-winning touchdown, and the fans all cheer as I receive the game ball once again. The Bills stand tall. And the boys, they got me up on their shoulders. Look at that. Got some pretty uh, some pretty cheerleaders waiting in the distance. They're stoked for me, obviously. They know I'm a heartthrob. They, just, they were just waiting to get, uh, for me to get my chance. They've been waiting. Look at the whole squad. They're loving me. I came in. I saved the day. Game ball is mine. Coach is all, he's stoked. The media is stoked. The cheerleaders are losing their mind. All the fans in the background, they're loving it. And here we go. We've won the game, and everyone around wants to know how it feels to score the game-winning touchdown. All I can say is I love the game, and doing my best is always my aim. See, you, like Colin Coward always says, my favorite, it's my favorite thing that he talks about quite often. You want your presidents to be presidential. You want your quarterbacks to be quarterbackial. Now that right there, folks, is the definition. Look at that. I mean, first of all, I am dressed like I am. I am just dripped down. Look at that outfit. That that is, you can't beat that outfit. I got the flat rim on. I got some sort of like Mitchell and Ness vintage jersey on. 
a pair of jeans, the hoodie, just casual. Like, I'm just playing it off like, hey, man, I love the game. And listen, doing my best, I mean, that's just the aim. What can I tell you, man? I'm out here delivering. And as you can see, everybody wants a piece of bot. Every reporter on the East Coast, they're trying to get, they're trying to get a sound bite. And then, of course, as I told you, <laughs> sure enough, super sub heroics win the game. Sub no longer. That's starting player territory right there. Front page of the newspaper. And there I am. Best looking guy on the team. Best player on the team. And uh, the rest is history. I'm going to go on to have a Tom Brady type career. It's essentially like when Tom Brady went in for Drew Bledsoe, everybody just thought he was a sub. You know, who is this kid? Whatever. Next thing you know, he's the greatest of all time. That was If I Were a Buffalo Bill starring yours truly. Now, you can't beat this type of nostalgia right here. I mean, they need to reinvent. They need to redo this book. They need to redo this book. Or you know what they could do? They, they, they could actually just, they could remake this book, but instead of having the little cutout where you put your face in it, they could just put Josh Allen in there. And I think that would be a New York Times bestseller. Be perfect. But I love the picture that my mom chose to put in here because it's got me just absolutely grinning ear to ear. And that's exactly how I'd be. I mean, could you imagine taking over for the Bills in any position? I mean, kind of like, a, I don't know, like a Rudy type situation, but you're playing for the Bills. Wouldn't that be something? Then you go in and win the game. Boom. Victory's ours. The Dolphins go down once again, baby, at the hands of Bot. All right. So this is exciting stuff here. You know, I remember my dad, my, we had this book just laying around the house as a kid. And as I told you, you know, you know time goes on and, you know, things just wind up get stowing, it gets stowed away and whatnot. But like I told you, like over almost 500 pages in this thing, it's thicker than hell. Super awesome book. I couldn't imagine what something like this would cost right now. I mean, this is this is a this is a high quality book, and essentially what it does is it recaps the first thirty five years of the franchise. So I'm going to go through this book, and we're going to take a look at a little bit of history for the Bills throughout every season or the majority of each season, depending on on time here. You know, I can get carried away a little bit from time to time. I'm no stranger to that. But we're going to go through and kind of take a look at what what it was like inside of the uh, inside the franchise all the way back to 1960 and all the way up to 1994. It's awesome stuff. So, uh, and by the way, too, there's so many cool pictures in this book too. It's awesome. We got to first of all, we start off the book here within. Uh, we got an oil painting of the man himself, the Ralph. Look at that. What a legend. Now I can't read this whole forward here because it's too long. It's like 20 pages, but I thought it was interesting. I was reading a little bit of this earlier and uh, essentially what the beginning of this book recaps is kind of how, how Ralph Wilson and the rest of the uh, seven other guys who decided to start the AFL, which would eventually merge into the NFL. It kind of just talks about how difficult it was and, you know, basically how an uphill battle. I mean, like I, like I kind of addressed earlier, you know, you take for granted almost what the NFL is now and what it's become. It's just, you at least for my whole lifetime, it's always been cemented as the top dog when it comes to sports, but it's crazy when you go back and read about the history and how just unlikely it was for, for the NFL to become what it became. So uh, this is how the book begins. And, uh, and if you're wondering those original eight guys, they are, they were called the foolish club. And, uh, I have an interview that if you, if you're interested in history, football history, bills, history, really anything to do with the beginning of the game, 
Definitely go and watch my interview with John Steffenhagen. Uh, it, it would be right here on YouTube. Just type in Buffalo Fanatics, John Steffenhagen. The reason I bring him up is because the uh, the Foolish Club reminded me of uh, the interview I did with him. He uh, he's a local guy, and he um, he's one of the largest collectors of original NFL memorabilia in the world. He owns some things that even original f- clubs don't own. Crazy stuff. His great grandfather was one of the original founders of the NFL and had a really big part in what the NFL wound up becoming in the beginning of it all. And uh, it's a great interview if you love the history of football. So when you're done here, go check that out if you want to continue to get an awesome history lesson and to check out some really cool memorabilia that you can't find anywhere else. So here's how the book begins. It essentially kind of talks about, like I said, the beginning of the league here. And uh, it talks about, you know, it basically gives you a recap as to why these guys were called the Foolish Club. It kicks off by saying this. They were fools, nothing more and nothing less. Fools. How else can you describe eight very wealthy, very successful, very influential men who would risk portions of their fortunes and every ounce of their weighty reputations on a fledging football league that was trying to take on the power National Football League starting in 1960 at a time when pro football was a distant, distant second in popularity and familiarity to Major League Baseball. See, that alone right there stood out to me as I was reading this earlier. It's just insane. And, and I mean, obviously, it's just it's so. I mean, everybody knows this by now, but the, the, the popularity the trajectory that that baseball has gone because baseball has either flatlined or decreased in popularity almost every year. They, whereas the NFL has done the complete opposite. They they have they have expanded in popularity and notoriety at a rapid pace. And yes, baseball is considered the original pastime, right? But I think when we get as we get older here and the generations go on, I just don't know if that's going to be considered the case. I I, I think right now. You could make that argument. I just don't know anybody who's as into that as, as they are football. And even when you're talking about sports media in general, you're, unless you're tuning into a show on television or the radio that is solely dedicated to baseball, you're, you're hardly ever hearing anybody talk about baseball as it is. And to think at this point in time, it, it, was, it was an uphill battle to try to get football to compete with baseball. It's wild. Wayne Valley, the majority leader of the Oakland Raiders, tabbed this group the Foolish Club. And none of the other seven American Football League franchise owners, including Ralph Wilson, Lamar Hunt, Bob, Bud Adams, Bob Hausman, Baron Hilton, Billy Sullivan, and Harry Weismer could argue with the moniker. It was a foolish club, so said Ralph Wilson, who, after being turned down by Miami, placed his franchise in Buffalo. It was like starting a new automobile company from scratch and bucking Ford and GM. The NFL was powerfully entrenched. In Detroit, my friends said, you have a franchise in this honky-tonk AFL, and they laughed at me at a cocktail party. I was a joke. What I take from that is essentially Ralph Wilson and the rest of the Foolish Club were, were kind of like Elon Musk is today basically based on what he had just said in comparison to the automobile industry, right? You have Ford, GM, all the main players. Here comes Elon Musk in the EV in the, uh, in the EV market. Next thing you know, it takes over the world. And that's, that's kind of what happened here. It's crazy how he made that comparison because that's exactly what it was. 
and it makes me think of Elon Musk in the in the EV industry right now and kind of how they've done the same. That's how big of an uphill battle it was. But when things catch on, man, do they catch fire. So it, it goes on to say, while they may have been foolish, they may have been laughingstocks in the eyes of men who wore crested blazers to dinner and washed down their caviar with martinis. They were, above all, visionaries. Unlike their innumerable critics, these eight men recognized that pro football had grown exponentially in the 1950s. Sure, the NFL had survived three meek attempts, in 1926, 1936, and 1940, all of which were named the American Football League to tap into its monopoly. And sure, the All-American Football Conference collapsed after only four seasons of operations in the late uh, 1940s. But this was 1959. Sports had become an integral part of the American way of life, and 1959 was a great time to be an American. And that's where it begins, this book, because in 1960 is where it all kicks off. And in this book, it has detailed records of every single game, every single stat line since 1960. I mean, right down to, I mean, you name it, passing attempts, yards, average per per attempt, completion percentage, touchdowns. It's incredible how everything was logged this far ago. And then you just kind of look at what the numbers were then and what things are today. And my God, it's just wild to go back and look at the, um, the comparisons. So here we are. We're going to kick it off here in 1960. And as you can see, like I was talking about here, it says by the numbers right uh, here. And so everything right there is just all the stat lines from the Bills team in 1960. And on the left page here, it, it essentially cap, uh, it, it recaps the major milestones that year that kind of went into the season. So it says in April 21st, the Bills signed linebacker Laverne. Now, like I said, I'm not, I'm not, let me see this. Laverne Torzon, is that it? So that was, that was one of the first major. Oh, you know what? I'm skipping a page. I'm skipping a page. We got to go all the way back to August. So I'm skipping a page. I was going to say, why is that the first thing listed? No, here's the first thing listed. August of 1959. So here is where the Bills truly come to fruition uh, and kind of form themselves into what they would wind up being today. So August 14th, 1959, the first organizational meeting of the American Football League was held in Chicago under the leadership of Lamar Hunt. Member teams named and their principal owners. So for New York, it was Harry Wisemer, Dallas, Lamar Hunt, yeah, that's the other crazy thing, too, is, like you know, the Chiefs are used to be in Dallas, right? That's wild. Uh, Los Angeles was Baron Hilton. Minneapolis, Max Winter and William Boyer. Denver, Bob Hausman, Houston, Bud Adams. And there was plans for a 1960 start of the league. About a week later, the American Football League was chosen as the name of this league. And on September 4th, Ralph Wilson the minority stockholder at the time in the Detroit Lions of the NFL said he was interested in bringing an AFL franchise to Miami. Because Miami balked, Wilson turned to Buffalo and announced he would place his AFL franchise in Buffalo. He said, quote, you can't get into this with the idea that you're going to make a lot of money. It's like owning horses. You pay a lot of uh, feed bills and trainer fees, and you have to be pretty darned lucky to get a Kentucky Derby winner. If you do, you might, you might make some money. 
Now, the Denver Broncos just sold, what, two weeks ago? Right? It, the, oh, my God. So it's not like this is like, it's not like this is light, light years ago. I mean, this was, this was uh, 60 years ago. The Denver Broncos just sold for just under $5 billion like two weeks ago. And here you got Ralph Wilson telling you, yeah, you know, you might get lucky to hit a Kentucky Derby here, right? Insane. This is also crazy. On November 5th, they project what the AFL rosters would be, and it would be 40 players. They announced the total payroll for the entire team would be $400,000. I think, I think if you were to calculate it out, Josh Allen probably makes $400,000 what? Let's break down Josh Allen's contract per game. $400,000. For the entire roster back in 1960, right? So if we go over to Josh Allen's, uh, we go over to Josh Allen's uh, contract here. We'll look at the the highest year. So his highest paid year will be uh, in 2023. He'll be guaranteed 27 million, right? So we'll do 27 million divided by 17. Okay, so Josh Allen's making about $1.6 million a game, and if you divide that by four quarters, okay, so the, so the entirety of the, the, the whole roster, and I know D. Wally's saying take in for inflation. I know I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm no economist here. I'm going to take it for what it is at face value because it sounds better because I just did the numbers. <laughs> and Josh Allen, if you calculate it out, he makes $397,000 a quarter. So every quarter of a game, all 17 games, if you break it down by quarter, Josh Allen makes $397,000 a quarter. And when the Bills first started in 1960, the entirety of the roster had to divvy up $400,000. Now, I don't care what kind of inflation you're taking in. I mean, that's absurd. That is crazy. Ralph Wilson said about 10 coaches had applied for the Bills head coaching position, and he had narrowed the list down to two or three candidates. Then on November 20th, the Bills signed a War Memorial Stadium lease in the city. Let's fast forward a little bit here. So in November of, uh, uh, 20, on November 23rd, the AFL's first player draft was held, and Penn State All-American, uh, All-American running back Richie Lucas was Buffalo's first choice. The Washington Redskins of the NFL also drafted him, but Lucas was said to be leaning toward the Bills because he would get a chance to play, and he had been offered an off-season job in a local accounting firm. Oh, my God. It's like thinking about, like, you know, Kyler Murray, right? He gets drafted in the MLB and the NFL, and you kind of have your choice. Back at this time, Richie Lucas had two choices. It was either go play for the Bills or go be an accountant. <laughs> The Bills drafted 33 players in all, including safety Larry Wilson, who later signed with the NFL Cardinals, and Tom Day. All right, so let's flash forward here and get into the season. So on April 19th, ABC expressed interest in telecasting AFL games for $1.9 million a season. 
Now, Tom Brady, he just signed a contract to call the game himself as part of Fox for a half a billion dollars. And ABC got to broadcast the entirety of the season for $1.9 million. Once again, inflation aside, the numbers back then that it took just compared to now just is the perfect example of how crazy this game has gotten. And, and, and like I keep saying, yes, I mean, 1960, it feels like it's literally – you know, black and white, right? If you were to walk, like, I always envisioned the past like when my grandma would tell me a story. I always thought she lived her life in black and white. It's kind of like when you think about 1960, you kind of have the same thought process, right? But in reality, right, 60 years is all it takes for that to go from what it was to what it is today. Um, so we get into the season here. And uh, looking at some of these numbers here, the leading rusher, had 533 yards, and the leading, let's see, the leading, uh, let's see the passing statistics here. Okay, so the uh, the most yards thrown in the uh, for the season was uh, 1,267 yards. The completion percentage at the time for, uh, for the Bills starting quarterback, 39%. 39%. I mean, you put me in the game, I could probably throw 39%, right? That is just wild. So here it goes. This book is so cool, man. It chronicles, it chronicles every single game, like right down to the game notes and everything that happened. So game one ever for the Bills was September 11th, 1960. They played the Titans, and they got absolutely smoked. They got blown out of the water, 27-3. to three. The Bills put up a field goal. Man, this book's wild. It's even got the timestamps uh, for the scoring. And the Titans were in New York at the time. Uh, so the Bills get off to the early lead, 3-0. They wind up losing the game 27-3. to three. Uh, so that was the first ever game for the Bills, and it was an L, 27 to 3. And let me see how many games they played. So that was one, two. So the season, oh, it's longer than I thought, actually. I would have guessed it was shorter. They played 14 games. Not bad, but the Bills did not have a good year. Five, eight, and one. This was the East at the time. It was Houston, New York, Buffalo, and Boston. Bills finished third in the division five and eight so not their best year but some of these numbers man are just crazy to look at when it was like during the original you know the original years um like the the money is what really stands out to me let's see here so in 1961 the first year uh, uh the following year after the original bills year the first bills year uh ralph wilson was estimated to lose $175,000 on the initial investment. So at first, you know, it kind of, it might've seemed bleak, right? I mean, you're, I mean, at the time, $175,000, right? I mean, good God, it's got to, it's, that's like a, that's a fortune. It's still a fortune right now. Right. I mean, imagine, um, the general tire company purchased $14,000 worth of season tickets, the largest sale of season tickets in team history. I'm pretty sure it costs like $14,000 to get one ticket to an LA Rams game nowadays. 
So that was the that was the biggest purchase of uh, tickets in, in NFL history at the time. Uh, WBEN announced the Buffalo Bills football network would, would contain 20 stations, and then Von Miller, uh, Van Miller was rehired as play-by-play man, and Ralph Hubel was added as color commentator. Man, the goat. Man, this is crazy reading some of this stuff. But you go through here and you just kind of take a look at all that went into the formation of the league. And it's almost like like the, the fact that everything was chronicalized the way it was and it was taken down, written down, you know, game by game, week by week, day by day, just, just wild. So let's fast forward here into some of the more glory days, right? Because that is, that's the more interesting read. I think because things, you know, when things really started to get cooking for the bills in the nineties compared to obviously what it was in the beginning. Now we're talking, right? That's where the, that's where the bills really start to hit strides. So let's take a look here. Oh, of course. What do I flick to the bills giants super bowl and the leading page is of course the wide right kick. Unbelievable. The game that always fascinated me the most as a kid growing up, my dad had this game on VHS, and this is the game right next to it, obviously. Sunday, January 20th, 1991, Bills 51, Raiders 3. As a kid, I could not believe, especially just based on how bad the Bills were when I was a kid, I could not believe that a Bills team could not only make it that far, right, but beat a team in the AFC Championship. 51 to three. I still, I've watched that game a few times on my dad's VHS tape that he has of it. I still can't get over the fact that that game happened. I mean, that had to have been like the nineties version of what the bills did at the Patriots last year. Right? So here's some of the notes from that game. The bills turned in one of the most stunning performances in team history, embarrassing the Raiders in the AFC championship game, earning a trip to the super bowl. The bills tied the scoring record for the AFC AFL championship game which was also matched by San Diego in 1963. Wow. So it took, it took almost 30 years to score that many points in an AFC championship game. And I haven't looked back on this, but I don't, I don't know if anybody's ever scored more than 50 in an AFC championship game since then. That's still got to be the record, right? I can't think of anything. Man, that's got, that's got to still be the record, right? In recent memory, who the hell scored more than 51 points in the championship game? The 41 first uh, half points was a new postseason record. God, I don't even know if I knew that. 41 freaking points in the first half. I mean, God, the Bills-Patriots game last year, that was, that was considered, right, the coin, the perfect game. They, they only scored 47. 41 points in the first half. Good God. In all, the teams combined to break 18 championship game records, including Jim Kelly's 73.9 completion percentage and the Bills' 30 first downs. Good God. Man, oh man, how the hell did they lose to the Giants? How in the hell did they lose that Super Bowl coming off of a game like that? 74% 74% completion percentage for Jim Kelly. I mean, off of 41 first half points. I mean, good Christ. That is insanity. Insanity. Some of this stuff is wild, too. I'm sure everybody, like the older fans in here, probably remember this, though. A couple of times during the game, NBC broke away to coverage of the Persian Gulf War as Iraq attacked Saudi Arabia and the U.S. fought off scuds with Patriot missiles. I don't even know if I knew that, man. 
this is what I'm saying. Like, I, I mean, I, I know the general gist of things, but it's the nitty gritty things that are really like they, that'll stand out to me. You know, Ralph Wilson was presented the game ball after he was awarded the Lamar Hunt Trophy in the locker room. See, I think that's super cool too. I think that's a cool aspect about what the Chiefs have going on too. Is like you know when the Chiefs win the AFC Championship, right? You get the Lamar Hunt Trophy, the founder of your organization. How cool is that? I think it's also wild though when when Ralph Wilson won those four. I mean, you're getting the trophy named after one of the guys that you started the league with. Essentially, it's wild. Like that had to have been so. That's, that had to have been so cool. I mean, not beyond obviously winning the championship game, but to win it with the trophy having the name on it of one of the guys that was, you know, part of the foolish club that you were a part of to really get this whole thing going. Wild. What else do we got here? Wow. Okay. This did not know this. Bill's assistant coach, Chuck Lester told Von Miller or Van Miller before the game, it's going to be a blowout quote, man. Was he not kidding? The balls. How about the balls on Chuck on Chuck Lester? Ironclad nuts on Chuck Lester going to Van Miller before the game and saying it's going to be a blowout. And he doubles down on it, putting up 41 points in the first half. How about Chuck Lester, man? What a G that guy is. Give me a break. That's wild. The Bills took the opening kickoff and no huddled their way 75 yards in nine plays to Jim Kelly's TD pass, James Lofton. Kelly had fumbled the snap, but got the ball back and hit Lofton over the middle. Kelly was six of six for 65 yards on the drive. Wow. They were not wasting any time. I actually, I can see that play. I can remember that play in my head. That's one of the, like, it's definitely one of the plays that I think they show the most when it comes to talking about Jim Kelly, which is awesome. Let's check out some comments here. Wow. Brian day saying that was his, his Brian. You're telling me the last game you saw in orchard park was, uh, was the Bills blowout against the, the Raiders in the AFC Championship game? Wow, what a way to send it off, man. Damn, that's a cool one to be at. Jeff King, he's in here, my man. What's Jeff got uh, got to say? Jeff goes, I was actually lucky enough to be at that game. Give me a break. We got Brian and my man Jeff were in the stadium that day. Jeff says, it was nuts. Raiders fans were getting pelted with beers. Now we're talking. So from what I've been told, and I don't know, I mean, obviously it probably hasn't been that that way in a long time for the Raiders since they haven't been good. Uh, well, that, until they've moved to Vegas, they've been, you know, they've been decent, obviously. But the, the Oakland Raiders of, of my generation were not good. But I was always told that the Raiders fans were notorious for being like really, really tough fans, especially in opposing territory. So uh, that must have been a rough one for a Raiders fan walking into the Ralph that day. I mean, that is wild. That is absolutely crazy. Uh, Jeff King saying Howie Long was so pissed. Yeah, it always felt like when I'm watching the broadcast, Howie Long never really seems to love the Bills. I wonder why. There you go, right? John Osborne saying, greatest moments in NFL history from the Bills, San Francisco against the Bills, no punt game, the comeback, wide right, Music City home run, throwback. Well, unfortunately, I don't know if I could put that in there. Although, oh, I see what you're saying. NFL greatest moments in NFL history. Yeah, well, of course, you know, a lot of times for the Bills, the uh, the greatest moments, they were on the wrong end of it, right? You got to throw the Patriots game in there, though. I don't think we're ever going to see a game like that again. I mean, that was quite literally the perfect game. I don't think we'll ever see a game like that again. I mean, that was insane. But you're right, John. A lot of great moments in there. And um, 
Oh uh, no! Are you? I see what you're saying. Are you saying no? Is the is the no punt game the San Francisco Bills game or is the no punt game the Patriots game? Either way, I didn't know. I didn't know if there was another one. Um, and then of course, yes, the, the the comeback. I should actually find the comeback in here. That probably be a good read up on this. But this game always fascinated me. This Raiders one, especially because it always felt like. I mean, I'm sure you guys all know this too. But the, you know, going into that Giants. Super Bowl. I mean, that out of all the Super Bowls the Bills were in and could have won, I mean, that was the one. I mean, that was it. Jim Kelly, after the Raiders win, says, quote, the object is to win the Super Bowl, not to just show up. A lot of teams get the chance, but 20 years down the road. Oh, man, this is a hell of a quote. <laughs> Jesus. A lot of teams get the chance, but 20 years down the road, I don't want people to say, oh, Buffalo was in it, but... Oh, that is a heavy quote, Jim Kelly. Damn. We still have one more rivet across. I remember in high school, all 25 guys on our team used to dream about it. I was always a Steelers fan, seeing Terry Bradshaw, Franco Harris, Lynn Swan, and those guys playing in the Super Bowl. I'd say maybe I'll get the chance. Well, my chance has come. Not in my wildest dreams did I think we'd score 51 points against these guys? When you have as many weapons as I do and you have the time to throw, that's what it's all about. Overall, we showed what it takes. It doesn't take just one guy behind the center. It takes 10 other people on the offensive unit. We were always one step ahead of them. Man, does that quote, though, ring true, right? Oh, Buffalo was in it, but, man. D. D. Raleigh coming in here saying, oh, Jesus, that hit hard. He predicted the future. That's, Dude, I got chills reading that, D. I mean, damn, that was like, that really stood out. That was like, shit, man. But it's true. I mean, it's, you, know what's, you know what's so crazy about that quote, too? Is it, is it like what Jim Kelly was saying there in his own words was, was basically what he wound up becoming synonymous for. You know? That's what Jim Kelly wanted his career wound up being synonymous to. It was, you know, the Bills were there, but man, that's a heavy quote. So many amazing little accolades from this one, though. What a what a just what a crazy game. Crazy game. This offense, though, it'll never like I know we're we're getting, you know, we get to we're so lucky now for the offense we have, but I I never got to experience the K-Gun, man. But I'm flicking through these games, and it's just like so similar to what I mean. Like last year, we talked about this last week. I talked about you know we went through the Bills' schedule, and and the one thing I said that I'm 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 a little bit concerned about this coming season that I don't think many people are talking about, and it's the fact that the Bills couldn't win a close game last year. Every single game the Bills won were was by a touchdown or more. I mean, every time they won, they kicked the hell out of you. But every time a game came down to the wire, they were right there. They did all the well. They did seemingly all all you thought it took, and they couldn't win it. When I'm looking through these stats here, I mean the the, the scores of this season in 1990 are absurd. I mean, I'm flicking back through here. I mean, this 1990 season, the Bills kicked the living shit out of almost everybody they played. Week one, they win by 16 against the Colts. They got their ass kicked week two against the Dolphins. But that's okay. Obviously, in a, if I were a Buffalo Bill, the book I read before this, we saw that we took care of them down the line, no problem. But after that, the Bills win by 23 against the Jets. They win by 14 against the Raiders. Uh, 
They win by 17 against the Patriots. They beat the Browns 42 to nothing. The week after that, they beat the Cardinals 45 to 14. They blanked the Patriots the week after that, 14 to nothing. They uh they beat the Colts in week uh, in week 13, 31 to 7. They beat the Dolphins by 10. They beat the Dolphins by 10 again in the divisional playoff. It's just crazy. Almost every single win they had this season was kind of similar to the Bills last year where they just kicked the shit out of you if they, if they, if they uh, wound up winning the game. Just crazy, man, going through here. The points that they'd put up. And, and, the, and the amount of shutouts, too, is like, is remarkable. Man, oh, man, I am so envious of my dad and all you guys. Who got, I mean, I, I actually shouldn't say envious because I think that we're getting, I'm getting my own glimpse of that now in, my, in its own way. I mean, obviously, it hasn't, it hasn't come to fruition as, as heavily as, as this 90s era did, uh, of course, but we're still early in it. But I'm getting my own glimpse of it. But to, you know, to go back and look at these little excerpts, these little pieces that all went into it, just, just remarkable truly remarkable like not only the the ability to do what they did and get the distance but just how dominant they were too offensively and you look at some of these scores and it was just a goal it was lights out lights out all right let's go through here i wanted to find uh well actually let's see what they said about that i want to see what they said about the norwood uh there's probably some interesting stuff in there that i haven't read before Let's take a look. I mean, you you could read this book. I'm telling you, man, you could read this book for like a year straight and probably still find something like every day for a year. You could go through this book and and find something new. Just just wild. Okay, what do we have here? Let's see. Give me a moment. I'm gonna flick through here. I'm gonna get a I'm gonna get a little flick going while I do. Check out this quick video from our new friends over at Dynasty Owner. We've been talking about uh, them a lot here on the show, and that's because we're super, super excited to be partnered up with them. Dynasty Owner, the best way to play fantasy football. Our new friends here at Buffalo Fanatics. Here's a quick word from our new friends at Dynasty Owner. You've never experienced fantasy football quite like this. Unlike the other fantasy football platforms, Dynasty Owner uses real NFL salaries and salary cap bench scoring, clutch scoring systems, and a variety of other options to make Dynasty Owner unlike any other fantasy football experience you've ever had. Do you have what it takes to be the best Dynasty Owner in the league? Download the Dynasty Owner app on the App Store or Google Play today to find out. Dynasty Owner, baby. It's almost that time. Fantasy football is right around the corner. And like I've mentioned before, you can uh, you can play year-round on Dynasty Owner, which is awesome. Uh, they have endless features. I mean, it's it's not it's not your grandfather's fantasy game. That is for sure. They got everything on there. You really got to go check it out. If you guys are fans of fantasy football, which I know the majority of you are, you have got to go download the Dynasty Owner app. So whether you're Android or iPhone, they got you covered. It's on the App Store or the Google Play Store. So make sure to go and check out Dynasty Owner when uh, when you get the chance. Okay, so I'm flicking through here. I'm trying to find. Um, the greatest comeback ever uh, by Frank Reich. I'm trying to find what is written about that on here because I feel like there's got to be some cool little 
elements on here that uh that I that I yeah I have yet to see before. I'm kind of I'm flicking through. Um, like I said, this book is just it is massively long. Um, and by the way, shout out! I got to give a shout out. I know this is like ages old. This book, but where are we here? There's a message from the uh, the author here. Um, who is the author? By the way, got to give credit where credit is due, right? <clears throat> um. Why is it so freaking hard to find an author on here? Oh, I, I don't know. I have no clue. You figure that you figured you put the author like somewhere on the book, uh, you know, front of the cover or whatever. But apparently, it's not on there. I will find it at some point. All right, I'm, I'm thumbing through here. Let's take a look and find what I'm looking for, and that is the greatest comeback of all time. And I think I'm getting close to it. Um, while I'm doing that, let's take a look at some of your comments. Let's see what everybody's got going on. Da -da 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 -da. Jeff King back at it. He says, the first season of the K-Gun was sick. Teams had no answer for it until the, <laughs> the D-bag Belichick in New York showed up in the Super Bowl, and the Bills' defense was great as well. F and shame. Yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because that's the first thing I think of because I just – I've always found it incredibly ironic, and it's almost to the point of, like, hilarity how um, – I just think it's, I've always found it hilarious how that was the one guy, of course, Belichick, before he was even a head coach, before anybody really even knew who the hell he was. I just always thought that that was so funny. That he was the guy. I mean, you're talking about you're talking about a team who just came off of a 51 to nothing drubbing. That's how good that offense was. He is the guy with a Giants team without Phil Sims. Right? Phil Sims couldn't play in the game. He was hurt. So you're, you're already going there. You're already going in there down. Bills were the clear favorite, better team, and Bill Belichick of all of all freaking people. Right? It's just unbelievable, and how it would just wind up becoming what it did for as long as it did. Because when you think about it, that was, I mean, out of all the Super Bowls, the Bills weren't even close in the other three. I mean, that was the one. That was the one. The other three, they, they, they more or less got their ass kicked. That, that was the game. Okay, I found it. Wow. <laughs> you got to love this, man. The, uh, so, Bill, Bills Oilers, January 3rd, 1993. This bad boy is so iconic. It's got two full pages, man, and the font's like size six. I love this. I absolutely love it. You know what's crazy is when you look at this. I actually don't know if I've ever realized this before. So obviously, Bills come back 41 to 38, the greatest comeback in the history of the NFL. This is wild, though. The Oilers, this is insane. Time of possession, the Oilers, 37 minutes, 39 seconds to the Bills, 25 minutes, 27 seconds. So not only did they complete that comeback, but they did it with almost 13 less minutes of possession time. How insane is that to be able to pull that off with almost a full quarter less than the Oilers had at their disposal? I mean, that is insane. That is crazy. Uh, Air Allen coming insane. Zeba, I just wanted to say thanks for the content. I really appreciate what you and BF do for me. The escape I need respect. Ah, Air Allen, man. The pleasure is ours. Thanks so much for the comment. Uh, reading stuff like that always means the world. I love that. Uh, but the pleasure is all ours, Air Allen, and we appreciate you tuning in as you always do, man. I really, really appreciate it. Um, but thanks for that. That's awesome. 
Um, okay, so let's start at the top here because I just think this is one of those this is one of those moments where yeah, you, you know, obviously everybody knows what happened, but it's down to the little nitty-gritty things that I think are just so cool. So unbelievable is the only word that can describe what took place at Rich Stadium on this cloudy, chilly, and breezy day. The Bills pulled off the greatest comeback in NFL history, rallying from a 35 to 3 deficit to defeat the Oilers in an AFC wild card playoff game. So obviously Jim Kelly didn't play. We all know that. Frank Reich comes back in. And Thurman, Tom, uh, Thurman Thomas missed the entire second half with a hip pointer. I don't even know what that means. Yet the Bills gathered themselves after a horrific start and made history. I still can't, I still can't get over that time of, of possession stat. So not only are you missing your starting quarterback, not only are you missing Cornelius Bennett, not only are you missing one of the greatest running backs to ever play the game for a whole half, but you're basically playing the game with a full quarter less than the opponent down by uh, 32 points and you win the game. The Bills remained unbeaten all time in the postseason at Rich Stadium at 6-0. Oh, that's cool. Um, the Oilers took the opening kickoff and led by Warren Moon, who was starting his first game in more than a month. Oh, I didn't know that either. Embarked on a 14-play, 80-yard march. Moon completed six of seven passes, 57 yards, including a 32-yard connection with Hayward Jeffries on third and eight from Houston's 33. He then hit Jeffries for the touchdown. So as we move forward here, the, uh, we all know what happened. Greatest comeback in the history of the game. But here are some of the quotes from after the game from those who were a part of it or on the sidelines. After the game, Daryl Talley said, quote, believe, believe, believe. What this shows is that th this team has a hell of a lot of character. And that's another reason why I kind of, you know, I I've done this before. I I've compared this. I've compared this new era to the of the Bills to the '90s era, and it's not necessarily because of what you see on the field or the you know the the wins or the the talent or whatever, but it's stuff like right there. I just it, it always felt like when you looked back at the '90s and you you know you 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 watch things, especially from my perspective and my age, you know documentaries, old footage, whatever. It, it was the vibe that I always got from that era that I never was able to enjoy growing up was was culture right for buffalo the culture was so dysfunctional growing up it was it was basically the example of what you didn't want your franchise to be right i always marveled in what the bills were culturally in the 90s it was just iconic and i just always felt like marv levy was the symbol of like what it was to be a character driven coach like, like he to me, he always resembled like six. Like it's the old Joe Paterno quote, right? Success with honor. He always resembled that, right? It always felt like that. Whenever I looked back on who Marv Levy was, he always looked at like that to me. I just get a lot of that vibe now, the way things are. But the hiatus of like twenty years between this and that, where I didn't have that. I always just wondered what that felt like. And now, you know, once you're kind of living within it, because, you know, it doesn't really matter to me right now. I mean, at the end of the day, it, it does not matter. It does not matter who, uh, it does not matter what the bills do on the field necessarily when it comes to like, you know, wins and losses and, uh, you know, getting the, 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 the Super Bowl at the end of the year, what we all want or whatever. I mean, obviously that's, 
than goal. I mean, there's nobody in the world who wants that more. But I think even if none of that happens, right, even if that doesn't happen in my lifetime or whatever during this window that I keep talking about where I think it needs to happen or it should happen or it's their best chance for it to happen, it'll never change what I felt about these the Bills culturally the way they are right now. And that's more than anything, that's why I've enjoyed the way things have been. Obviously, the success is, is the, you know, what, what you think about first, but it all, it all comes down to that for me. And, and that's something that I always look back on on these teams that, um, that I never got to enjoy growing up, but it's, it's really great to be a part of now. Uh, I, I was looking through these comments. I couldn't tell if that was the author, but I thought I, thought I, saw, saw, thought I saw somebody in here saying, um, yeah, is it? Yeah, right here. Is it is it is it Sal Mariano? Is that is that the author? I I I think I think you might be right. I couldn't tell because this book there's like so many names listed in the credits, but it does say right here copyright by Sal. Yeah, yeah, it does say that. I can't tell if he's the author though. Good point uh, though, Steve. I I appreciate you pointing that out. I couldn't necessarily tell if he is the author, but it says co copyright by Sal. So I think you might be right on that. You know what? We, uh, the internet exists for a reason. Let me, let me Google this. I think uh, you got to be right on that, right? I had no idea. Wow. I mean, Sal's been, I had no idea that he, uh, he had any, he had a hand in this book. I've been following Sal's work. I mean, obviously he's one of the more legendary Bill's writers of all time. Let's see here. Sal, da, 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 da. Sal, is that the same guy I'm thinking of? Yeah, yeah, it is Sal. Yeah, okay, no, no kidding. Wow, the more you know, man. I told you, I told you. You learn something every time you read this. Break down to the author. So, yeah, Sal, is it Sal? I, I always have a tough time pronouncing it. Sal Mariana. Either way, though, legend. I had no idea he had that big of a hand in this book, though. Incredible. I can't even imagine what it took to... to I can't imagine how much work it took to, to write this book. Just insanity, the amount of detail in here. I mean, not only is it 480 pages, but the book is like twice the size, three times the size of a normal book in the, in the letter font is... Uh, is like 0.6. Matt coming in here saying he's not the author. He just did the research. Okay, thanks for clearing that up, Matt. Yeah, because I couldn't quite tell. I mean, either way, that's even more impressive, honestly, the, the amount of research that will go into this. Yeah, I go back to the front here, and I can't, I can't quite tell who the hell wrote it because there's so many different names. But Sal's name does have the copyright next to it, so um, a lot of the credit obviously goes to him. I mean, the amount of research that had to have gone into doing this is just remarkable. And at the, at the, at the back here, it's got a roster of every single one of the players too. It's just incredible. Well, hold on. It does say, hold on about the author. Here's Sal, a young Sal right here. And it does say, uh, Sal Mariana wasn't quite eight years old when his father, Sam took him to his first, uh, took him for the first time to War Memorial Stadium in Buffalo on that sunny October day in 1970. O.J. Simpson returned to kickoff 95 yards for a touchdown. Wow, look at Sal, man. He looks the – Sal hasn't aged a bit. Look at him. No kidding. The more you know, man, the more you know. I love it. Thanks for pointing that out.
So it looks like he either did the majority of the research and the writing or whatever, but in the about the author section, he is highlighted. All right, let's get back to some of these quotes from the, um, from the greatest comeback game because I'm loving this. Let's see here. Kenneth Davis said, I've never seen anything wilder than this. When we won the AFC championship 51 to three over the Raiders in 1990 on the way to the Super Bowl, it wasn't this great. This was a very emotional win for us. Andre Reed said, quote, of course, it seemed like it was hopeless. Our defense wasn't stopping them. Uh, Andre Reed with a not so subtle shot. But hey, what's what are you you supposed to say? I mean, it was 35 to three. Um, It seemed like they were going to run up and down the field all day on us. But I guess the Oilers got a little lackadaisical out there and it gave us a chance to get the momentum. Jim Kelly said, Gail Gilbert and I told him before the second half, well, Frank, you had the greatest comeback in college history. Uh, Of course, that legendary comeback uh, while he was in Maryland against Miami. Let's see if you can do it in the pros. And he went out and did it. Man, is Jim Kelly a sorcerer? Everything he says seems to come to fruition. It's crazy. Um, Let's see if you can go out and do it in the pros. And he went out and did it. In order to have a comeback like that, you have to make some big plays. And I'll tell you, the poise that Frank showed out there I don't think it can be matched. That was the greatest win I've ever been associated with, and I was on the sidelines. It doesn't feel good standing there, but when a guy like Frank pulls through, that's great. How could you not love Frank Reich? You know, I always root for Frank Reich. I think the seat might be getting a little hot in, uh, in Indy, but I do root for Frank Reich. Sure kicked our ass last year, that's for sure. Kicked the living shit out of us last year. Frank Reich, here he is with with his own quote after that game saying, quote, without question, it's the game of my life. Yeah, I mean, you know, realistically, Frank Reich could have never done anything again. I mean, seriously, never anything again. I mean, the legendary, right? That's what you got to love about Buffalo, too. Like, it might be one of the only cities where you, like, a backup quarterback, you come in and do that. Frank Reich, he'd never buy a beer in Buffalo ever again. I mean, if he could have just played that game, Never been associated with the game of football again, and the same thing would have stood, right? I mean, that's just the way it would have been. Without question, it's the game of my life. I was pretty emotional when I got back to the locker room. I couldn't hold the tears back. Your thought is to take it one play at a time and don't try to force anything. In thinking back to the experience in college, it wasn't anything – it wasn't any great thing that I did. We only threw 15 times in the second half of that game, and we were down 31 nothing. So I knew it could be done. I never really thought, oh, we're out of it. I still had to go out there. I had thrown some bad passes, but I was seeing the field well. When we scored to make it 35 to 24 late in the third quarter, that's when I thought it was really within reach. And then Marv Levy would go on to say, Frank is a person of high character. He's a well-rounded family man who's deeply religious. Sometimes the guy who has other things in life doesn't clutch up. It makes him be able to retain an equilibrium. I was just thinking this is a humiliating day. Did I still think we had a chance? Well, there was a lot of time left, so there was a glimmer of hope. But it was about the same chance as you have of winning the New York lottery. I have to admit, it's a tremendous thrill to be a part of this game. That's a great quote. Marv after the game. You got a better chance of winning the New York lottery than winning that game. There they go. That's another, that's another thing that always blew my mind, too. It's like, man, the Bills were able to do crazy stuff like that, but just couldn't get over the hump in the last one, right? You know? I mean, and, and another thing, too, is in, in, this particular, uh, in this particular playoff run here, 
it's wild to me how they got absolutely pissed on the way they did against the Cowboys in the Super Bowl, right? Because you, not only do you win that game the way you do in that fashion, like the greatest comeback of all time, but then you go on to absolutely take a dump on the Steelers and the Dolphins. You work them both. And then to just go and get destroyed like that, man. Just wild, man. This whole, The history of the, the, the 90s, man. I mean, I know they did the documentary, of course, but it, it truly... It truly is. It is. It is a, a marvel to go back and look at some of this stuff. Just, just the ups and downs. Like, how is that even possible? And you know, the crazy thing is too. I'm looking at these stats in that Super Bowl, uh, the Super Bowl loss to the Dow- to Dallas in '93. Like, the stats are like incredibly comparable. But it's the turnovers. That's what it all comes down to. Because if you look at the majority of the stats here, they're almost dead on. The Bills were, you know, they were right there with the with the uh, with the Cowboys. Oh, I don't know if I knew this. The Bills fumbled eight times in that game. No, dude, I I don't know how I didn't know that. Eight fumbles for the Bills in that game. Lost five of them. How in the absolute hell do you fumble the ball eight times unless you're trying to throw the game? Dude, I I don't know how I didn't know that. Eight fumbles, man. You, Dude, if I was alive for an eight-fumble game, I swear to God, I don't even know what I would have done. I'll tell you one thing, though. The TV would have been unmounted from my, from my wall. That is, for, that is for damn sure. Eight fumbles. Man. Oh, and also in this game, Dallas also uh, they they set a record by scoring the two fastest touchdowns uh, in Super Bowl history, fifteen seconds apart in the second quarter. Man, what a route! That would be the that would be essentially the equivalent, I feel like, of like like the Bills doing what they did last year, and then like because if you think about it, right? They would not not that there would have been a comparison, but the comeback style game could have been equivalent to the Chiefs game, right? Not in the sense that it was a comeback, but it's also considered one of the greatest games of all time. But you win that, and that's after destroying the um, the Patriots. Then if you go on and, you know, destroy the Bengals, which I think, you know, might have been possible or whatever. But that, that would have been the essential, like essentially the equivalent of that and then going into the Rams Super Bowl and just getting destroyed. Like, it would have been completely out of left field. I don't know what the spread was on this game, but 52 to 17, that is just crazy. That is wild. All right, we're a buck twenty in, and I mean the problem with this is I could sit here and read this all day. I wanted to. I my original thought process was, let's go through, uh, let's go through a little excerpt of every single year or uh, of the franchise. And I just looked up and looked back down, and uh, I've been on here for an hour and twenty. We talked about like three games, but. Uh, maybe as time goes on, I'll highlight a couple of things throughout that book that I think are interesting, and I'll bring them up whenever um, whenever I get the chance here on the show. There was one other thing that I wanted to talk about here uh, before we close up shop, and it's something that I uh, saw on Twitter earlier today that I thought was really interesting because I think oftentimes, and I said this last week, I think it was on Rev show, um. Yeah, it was on Rev Show last Thursday. 
I was talking about, you know, I was with Rev, I was with Rico. We were talking about hot takes for the Bills this coming season. I know Rico got on me. He said it wasn't that hot of a take. But I also thought at the same time, you know, continued dominance, I guess is the right word. Continued dominance or the ability to continue being ranked number one at anything from year in to year out is extremely difficult. And I thought a hot take that I, you know, I think is for is is possible is the Bills being the number one defense again in the in the NFL this coming season. I just, you know, last year they were ranked number one. I didn't necessarily think that the on the play uh defense itself, I didn't think it visually looked or felt like the number one defense in the league, but statistically they were. And I feel like, I mean, if that defense could be the number one in the league without Tredavious White, and, you know, you go into this season, and not only do they get Tredavious White back, but they've also added a, a whole new weaponry when it comes to that defense. I just I just see it. I, I really do think the Bills have a legitimate chance, and more than a legitimate chance, to be ranked number one uh, defensively uh, this coming season. Now, my biggest criticism of the game last year against the Chiefs, and I think this was, you know, obviously one of everybody's biggest criticisms, it was the final 13 seconds. And not just the 13 seconds itself and and um, the way it went down. I mean, you can critique that a million different ways, of course, right? But my my biggest takeaway, my biggest criticism, the one part of it I'll never live down, it was the way that it was, you know, it was defended. Not Not necessarily based on the way that the players defended it, but more so on the scheme. I just did not understand how you could possibly allow the chiefs to run the same play back to back to get into field goal range the way they did, especially after you call a timeout and you don't adjust. I, we, we've all heard the soundbite by now where Travis Kelsey goes up to Mahomes and says, look, if they run that same defensive scheme again, that you just hit Tyreek Hill for, for 20 some yards, do it again. I'll be open. And sure enough, that's exactly what they did. And I think a lot of that, the, if, if I had to pass blame on on that loss, if you, I mean, I, you, I hate pinning any certain aspect of a game on a loss because there's a lot of things that go into it. But if I'm talking strictly based on those 13 seconds, 85 to 90 percent of my blame was on the coaching staff there, and it always will be. But I think a lot of people that felt the same way felt highly critical of Leslie Frazier as a coach overall based on those 13 seconds. I think that out of all the success the Bills have had, out of all the notoriety that a lot of players and coaches amongst the Bills organization have gotten, I think Leslie Frazier is the one guy who probably gets the least, and I don't under, I don't understand why. The reason I preface the 13-second situation is, yes, I looked at Leslie Frazier in that situation, and I thought that he completely uh, – he, he was completely overwhelmed. He was completely outcoached in that situation. He mismanaged it completely. So did McDermott. So did anybody else on that sideline and anybody on the field. But that wasn't definitive of who he is as a coach. And I feel that Leslie Frazier is an extraordinary defensive coordinator. But I think when it comes to talking about the cornerstones of this current organization, why is it that Leslie Frazier is oftentimes the guy who is not pointed to as one of those? And if he is, he's down the totem pole of the list. Well, PFF today just came out with their list, ranking the NFL's best defensive play callers going into the 2022 NFL season. Guess who happened to be ranked number one on that list? Leslie Frazier of our Buffalo Bills. Now you can take all these lists with a grain of salt. I tell you to always do that because they are just somebody's opinion. But PFF is up there as one of the more notable, incredible lists, uh, list makers when it comes to the NFL. And I put a lot of stake into what they have to say. I think that what they have to say is oftentimes justified and, and well thought out. 
I just think that when it comes to Leslie Frazier, I, I think that when I think about what this current team is and all the star power and notoriety that, that they've accumulated, it just seems like Leslie Frazier oftentimes is kind of the last guy you think of when you, when it comes to talking about coaches, uh, front, front office personnel, uh, players on the field. It just seems like Leslie Frazier is the odd man out when it comes to that. But when you really get down to brass tacks, he's one of the more integral parts of the success. I preface the 13 second situation because yes, it was a major fall on your face moment for Leslie Frazier. But overall, when you think about these bills defenses over the last several seasons, it's been extraordinary. And I always come back to my best example for what I love so much about Leslie Frazier. They always come down to the way the bills play the, the Baltimore Ravens. And I think there's no better example than the game in which Teron Johnson takes it to the house and the bills win the the playoff game move forward one of the greatest moments in bill's history always will be leslie frazier i think before anybody else in this league found a way to defend lamar jackson that nobody else could could crack the code on i mean leslie frazier what i've seen from what i've seen especially in the peak of the, of the baltimore ravens and lamar jackson i i throw last year out the window because of their injuries including lamar jackson's just a horrific year for the Ravens but when we're talking about when when the Ravens are humming when Lamar Jackson's humming I don't think I've ever seen a defensive scheme work better against the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson than what Leslie Frazier comes up with for the Bills when they play Baltimore so this list comes out today heading into the 2022 season and I thought it was worth touching on because I just feel Leslie Frazier is one of those guys that doesn't get as much credit as he is deserved. And this list puts him at number one amongst all defensive play callers in the entire league. And here is what PFF had to say about why they had Leslie Frazier ranked number one on their list. Quote, I tweeted out, I tweeted about the advantages the Buffalo Bills defense has over some other units, namely their schedule last year. And the fact their games are played with the highest wind speeds in football. That said, they allowed an average of 4.6 yards per play and did so for a large part of the season without their best cornerback or without a highly paid player along their front four. Two great points. At some point, Frazier is going to get another look as a head coach, and that is 100% true. I think that we have to appreciate the fact that we have Leslie Frazier around again for this coming season. I know he was getting looks last year, but they never seemed to be legitimate it just never really seemed like Leslie Frazier was in a primary driver seat spot to get a head coaching job last season like Brian Dable was. But I think if you see the Bills defense go out again this year and my hot take comes to fruition and they wind up having the number one overall defense again, Leslie Frazier is definitely going to get more significant looks at the head coaching position and he could ultimately wind up, uh, you wind up landing a job. But I thought those were two really good points made by PFF that I – personally had felt as well before even reading this. I mean, you, you, you look at what the bills were able to comp, to accomplish on defense. And yes, I, I, I like I keep saying, I, I don't think the defense visually was the best defense in the league based on what their stats showed, but the fact that they were still ranked number one overall statistically with Tredavious white going out and like PFF said, and like we all know really without much of a, of a, a front line to, to, hang your hat on. I mean, let's be realistic here. Everybody knows the bill's biggest missing piece was an edge rusher. That's why we go out and pay Von Miller. What we do. That's why we bring Von Miller in this current season. Right. I mean that, that, that right there, the, the science seal delivered it. It was the biggest need. It was the biggest need. Everybody with eyes knew that. And without a legitimate pass rush, without your best corner, 
one of the best corners in the league. The Bills still had the best overall defense in the league last year, and they also did several, you know, incredible things when it counted, I think. It just, I think oftentimes people can be characterized by one or two moments. I think last year for Leslie Frazier, he was characterized by the ending of that Chiefs game. And I know I'm guilty of doing that as well sometimes. I know all of us are. But when, when looking at that list, you know, looking at what the Bills have coming into this year on defense, it kind of puts you back into perspective as to what they really do have, not only on the field, but who they have calling the plays as well. So uh, I thought that was awesome to see Leslie Frazier getting some love from PFF. And I wanted to emphasize that just because I think, you know, I think when it comes to Leslie Frazier, he's just one of those guys, like I keep emphasizing, that that is underrated. And um, I think we need to appreciate and enjoy his time here in Buffalo while we still have it because – as we know, you know, Brian Dable is only the first chip to fall. The, the Bills are going to continue to be a farm team for those trying to get where the Bills are, whether that be players who can't be paid what they are due because the Bills have cap issues, whether that be front office uh, personnel, whether that be coaching staff. When you are who the Bills are in this current day, everybody else wants a piece of what you got so they, so that they can eventually turn that into what the Bills currently are. And Leslie Frazier, one of those major pieces, could inevitably be one of the next pieces to move on to another organization. So I uh, think that was an awesome piece by PFF there, giving him well-deserved uh, credit. Steve coming in here. He's talking about the last 13 seconds here. Steve said 90%, 95% on coaching, 5% split between Poyer and Hyde. They took a timeout, looked at their alignment, and didn't scream out, hey, what the F are you doing? I don't care if Frazier called it or not. McD went along with it too. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not – I mean, I'm not even going to get into that again. You've heard me rant about it a million times. But, the, yeah, the, the the fault, of course, on that 13 seconds, it's split amongst anybody. I don't even – it can go down to Dable for all I care. Anybody who is, is a paid a paid professional NFL football coach should not have allowed that personnel, that scheme to happen twice in a row. It just it, – it's it'll never not blow my mind. Especially when you know how good of a coach Leslie Frazier is and Sean McDermott is and how good the secondary of Buffalo is and that defensive core was overall. Just the fact that that, I mean, whatever, I'll never get over it. What's the point of even talking about it anymore? Good God. Oh, all right. Well, hey, it was uh, it was fun walking down memory lane with you tonight. Like I mentioned, I wish I could have done more, but like we would have been here till 8 a.m. and I still wouldn't have covered a quarter of this book. So um, hopefully down the line here, the rest of the offseason, I'll find a few more stories in here worth sharing and I'll come on here and share them with you. But found this book with a layer of dust over it in the closet and thought it'd be uh, cool to come on here and share it with you. So fun stuff. Good way to spend a Monday night. Appreciate you joining me here tonight. As always, you guys are the best. We'll be right back at you again here next Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, and I look forward to seeing you then as always. All right, everybody, enjoy your week. Hope all the fathers out there had a great Father's Day yesterday. Uh, enjoy the rest of the week. We are getting closer and closer to football, baby. 80 days and counting. I'll see you next Monday. Take care, everybody. And as always, go Bills. Good for you, come on. We'll think of another place.
Come with me, let's have a smoke break. And it's just a normal break. of being upsold at gyms my guy you're currently a base member for 90 dollars more i can upgrade you to our shred membership for 130 more you'll be a swole member and for just 300 more you'll reach sweat platinum at planet fitness you'll get energy without the upsell never pushy always free fitness training and equipment for every workout it's fitness that fits your budget join planet fitness for just one dollar down and ten dollars a month cancel anytime deal ends friday may 10th see home club for details